0: You're listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill,
1: Georgia. Series we've been called "Testify," and uh, if you've missed out on these testimonies, I encourage you to go back and go to our YouTube uh, page, and uh, we have the full messages there. um, But we have a playlist that's just testimonies, and uh, you can go see those testimonies that we have played. Uh, there's actually we've we've this is kind of a, a redo of a series we did several years ago, and so we have some testimonies from uh, back I think 2015. This um, Ernestine uh, has got a testimony on there. Uh, Tony Green's got a testimony on there, and so I encourage you to go check those out. Um, powerful stories of just who God is has been in His people's life, and today we're going to share another one with you, and. Um, this morning, you're going to hear the story of Kim Long. And uh, Kim's here today, her and her son, Bo. And uh, we love them and we appreciate them. And I appreciate Kim coming to sit down and tell her story. And so I'm going to go ahead and play that. And then I'm going to come back and talk to you in just a second.
0: Um, well, I'm Kimberly, I'm 35. I own the bookstore on the hill, which is down um, next to 17 and 144. Um, I've owned the store for about two years now, and we've lived in the area for about five. Some of the biggest challenges I have faced um, are my son's medical diagnosis and uh, being homeless. So, I moved out at a very early age, and I was not, even though I was raised in the church, I definitely wasn't a follower of Christ yet. Um, I was not, I wasn't even calling myself a Christian, let alone doing anything believing as a Christian or living as a Christian Um, and I met and married a man who also did not love Jesus and um, that affected every other aspect of our life and um, he turned to drugs and alcohol and he became very abusive and when our child was three months old I took him and I fled that situation. We've been homeless twice. Um, When I left My abusive husband. Um, We lived in the car for a while and he was only three months old so you know he doesn't remember that time. We talk about it often um, because I I don't want to hide you know not just the mistakes I made but how far we've come from him and so we lived in the car for a little bit because I was not close with my family. Like I said I moved out at a very early age and at this point, um, we had had a falling out. We had not spoken in a couple of years at this point, and I certainly wasn't going home. Looking back now, my first husband had a lot of substance abuse problems um, that definitely changed his personality when on them. And my second husband did not. So it was definitely different types of abuse and I I was so quick to rush through the lesson that I didn't actually learn the lesson and, um, and when I when I left him it was like going right back to where we were but 10 years later um, we walked out of there without a place to live I just knew we had to walk out. And I fully believe that particular day, his brother just happened to come by. And I think if his brother wasn't there, we'd both be dead. Um, When my son was two months old, he was medically injured and he stopped breathing and his brain was without oxygen for a certain amount of time. And they don't exactly know how long his brain was without oxygen for, and we weren't sure what the repercussions of that would be. Um, I was very fortunate that he lived through it. And when I was at college, I met a woman there named Carmen who invited me to come to her ladies group at church. And it was just a fun, um, it wasn't even a preaching thing. It was a get together. It was an act. It was a earring, um, stealing exchange like a white elephant. Um, And I went with her, and I did not know that she was the pastor's mom. um, But I just felt surrounded uh, by just kind-hearted women. And I was like, I want to be a part of this. So when she invited me to come with her on Sunday morning, I went with her. And it was during that worship service that I really heard God call me home that it didn't matter how far I had wandered away, that I could come back. And that was really when I gave my life back to Christ. It was right around that same time that we were that we were sent to a speech therapist for my son because he wasn't talking yet. And the speech therapist sent us to a neurologist. And the neurologist is the one who told me that from the time his brain was without oxygen at two months old, that I was looking at a lifetime of care for him, and that he would probably never speak, that he wouldn't function in society. And he really, um, he wasn't trying to be harsh with me. He was just trying to prepare me for what that kind of life would look like. And that really um, stripped me of all hope at the time. I went to my brother's house straight from the neurologist's office. Uh, My sister-in-law and I were pregnant at the same time, so we had boys the same age. And I was already a hot mess of tears when I showed up at their house. And my brother is not one for that, so he took the boys and he left. And I sat on Nicole's couch with her and I cried for hours. I cried over the life he wouldn't have. I cried over his wife that he wouldn't have. I cried over a job he wouldn't hold down. This whole life I had built up for him in my head, that was all mine. Nicole let me cry for hours (laughs) and then she finally said to me, she said, all right, biblically you have until sundown to be upset. And then you have to decide whether you trust God with you and Beau's life or not. And it was that moment. That was exactly what I needed to hear. God knew exactly what I needed to hear. And I decided then that I do trust Him. I, I do trust Him. And that was the moment that I got saved at that altar, but I really gave my life to Christ on that couch with Nicole. And. He started speaking but within six months of cranial sacral therapy. And he started doing full sentences within a year of that therapy. And um, you guys have met him. You know, he definitely talks. He's not going to start the conversation, but he will join it. <laughs> um, but he does so much more than that girl on that hopeless couch ever thought he would. And I fully expect him to still live a full and complete life, no matter whether he has a wife or no matter whether he holds a job down. And I fully expect him to, because I know he's watching this, too. (laughs) I do expect these things as a parent for him and from him now, um, because I have seen the way God has just completely lifted us both out of um, what was hopelessness. We had an opportunity to move over here, and COVID hit just after we moved over here. And um, I lost the job that I had set up over here. And I happened to be in the bookstore, and I noticed the older gentleman that was in there, his hand was shaking when he was running the payments. And I told him I was out of work at the time. And if he needed some help in the store and I gave him my card, he called me the next day and I started the next day. And eight months later, I bought it from him. So, and then I've had the store for two years now, and we are about to close on a home next week. It is okay to ask for help. We all struggle in a hundred different ways and a lot of times we feel like it's shameful to ask for help. You know, I, I struggle with the shame of being divorced twice. I struggle with the shame of being homeless twice, of telling people that I've been homeless. Um, but we all struggle in such different ways and there is nothing wrong with asking for help. I am an overcomer.
1: Amen. Amen, isn't that good? Amen, yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate everyone who has come and sat down with us and shared your story. Um, man, it's, it's, you know, sitting down and doing the edits, and, you know, we'll, we'll record like 15 to 20 minutes, and then you have to, like, try to shove all that into five minutes is incredibly difficult, right? <laughs> and, um, and you know, and you're, you're listening to these stories, and it's just like, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You know, and I know there's times that we feel like, man, that we're just, we kind of get in our pity party. Anybody got in their pity party before? You know, and you just uh, everything's bad. Everything's horrible. You know, the sky is falling, you know. But this is why we testimonies and stories are powerful is because it reminds us. It reminds us of who God is, and, and that's where we've been throughout this entire series. And I want us to read the Revelation passage, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And it says, And they conquered him, or they overcame him, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And, and we've said this. We've said that what this is is they are overcomers because of what Jesus did. We are overcomers because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We are overcomers because he didn't stay on a cross and he didn't stay in a grave because he overcame. He got up. And he tells us this. He, he, says, he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Right? And, and so because he, over, he overcame, we can become overcomers. And, and so because of what Jesus did and is doing, he's not done. And the stories that have been shared are evidence of that God is still at work that Jesus is still at work in this world and in in our lives. And so, you know, there's a a term we use, and it's called proving grounds. And proving grounds are basically it's a place where technology, uh, tactics, and prototypes um, are experimented on, and they're tested. And the reason they're experimented on and tested is because, right, you want to make sure you prove it. You want to make sure you can prove that it works. And so it's a place of testing. It's a place that, you know, you're, you're working out the kinks and you're working out all the all the question marks, right? And every one of us at some point, we're going to go through the proving grounds. And how are you going to come out on the other side? See, we learn a lot about God and about ourselves through testing. If you, if you don't know that, you're going to learn that at some point. That you're going to learn who you are once you go through a test. Many of us we've lived long enough to have already been tested, right? How I many you've you've already experienced a test? You know, maybe several of them, and, and you know that there's probably even more to come. And and so this is what it is. It's a proving ground for us to to see. You know what's what's in here. And and, and I asked the question, and it was like God, why do you send us through tests? You know. Why do you send us through tests? Is that because you don't know what's in us? And I don't believe that because I believe God knows everything. I believe that God looks at me and he already knows what's in me. And so he doesn't send me through the test for his benefit because he doesn't know me. God knows me. He knows me in and out. The psalmist has already said, you know, you, you've nipped me together in my mother's womb, right? Paul wrote in the New Testament, he says, examine me, examine my heart, examine, uh, examine who I am. And so, all these places, God knows who we are. question is this, is do you know who you are? Do you know what's on the inside? Sometimes I think we know, but we're really good at fooling other people and probably we're the best at fooling ourselves, right? Anybody ever lied to yourself and you just believed it? And, and And so we've all been there. We've all been there where we've lied to ourselves and and, and we believe it. But one thing that I love about Kim's story, and as we watched Kim's testimony, did you pick up on this? And this is the first thing that I just wrote down here. The test didn't change, but her trust did. The test didn't change, but her trust did. When she said she sat on that couch and she cried, and her sister-in-law says, all right, now you've got to make your mind up. What are you going to do with this? You still have the same test, but she had a different trust on the other side. And she had decided at that point, I'm going to trust God no matter what. How big and how encouraging is that? That even though our test may still seem like that giant that stands in our way and calls out our name and says, I'm going to get you. Our trust is not in ourself, and our trust is not in doctors, and our trust, and all all these things are great. We've got all these people, technology and things are are awesome, and I'm so thankful. But ultimately, our trust has to be in something much bigger. Ultimately, our trust has to be in our Father. And that's what I love about Kim's story, that although her test did not change, her trust did. And I think that as you see her trust began to change and putting her trust in God and saying, whatever may come, I'm going to trust God. I think her perspective changed, and I think you begin to see her situation, you begin to see her situation in a different light, in the light of heaven, through the, through the eyes of Jesus. It says, what can you do with this? How can you redeem this? And it's still a story that's being written. Writ- written. I love the fact that she was homeless twice, and now God's bringing them to their very own home, right? I mean, you talk about seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What's the all the things that that you need? What's, what's your all these things? See, all these things mean something different for every one of us, but the same God is what we're called to trust. Whatever your all these things means, it's the same God that you have to seek first. And so we've got, we've got to do this. We've got to understand that sometimes our tests won't change, but our trust has to. So what is the test for? What is a test? A test is a proving ground in a sense. Uh, that's what it is. A test is this, and I'll give you this definition. A test is a measurement. It, it will measure these things. It will measure your skill. It will measure your knowledge. It will measure your resolve. And it will measure what you trust or who you trust. That's what a test is. It's a measurement of, of who you are. It's a measurement of your skills, and it's a measurement, of ultimately, of who you're going to trust. So I've already said it. God doesn't need to test us for his benefit. I think God tests us so that we can see what's in us. I think God is asking that question because every time God asks a question in Scripture, he's already got the answer. In In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were hiding, and he says, where are you? He wasn't asking that question because he lost them. It wasn't like, you know, Taylor's keys that get lost every, you know, and we buy our tiles and all these things to track it. She still loses all that stuff, right? And if you know Taylor, you know that's true. But it's not like God lost that. Where'd they go? If only I had one of those Apple tags to put on them, right? He wasn't asking that question for him. He was asking that question for them. See, because God asks you the same thing. There are times that God comes and says, hey, where are you at? And that's a question that sometimes we don't want to answer honestly. Well, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing good, you know. If I'm being honest, I'm not doing good. Where are you at? And so God asks us questions many times, and it's not questions that he asks for his benefit. It's for our benefit. And the scripture that we read in Revelation 12, 11, we've already said that through what Jesus did, and it's by what Jesus is doing. And they, it goes on and it says it says this, and, and can you put that up, verse 11? And it says this at the very end. It says, for they love not their lives even until death. What does that mean? It says, listen, I'm willing to die for this. I'm willing to stake my life on this. See, there comes to a place in our life and, that we just say, listen, I've come too far to go back now. I've come too far. I've trusted too much. I've, I've put too much. I've invested too much. I've come too far to go back now. God's shown me too much to turn around and go back. God's been too good to me for me to turn around and go back. And so this is what they're saying. They say, I believe in what Jesus did. I believe in what Jesus is doing. And I'm staking my life on this if it costs me everything. So this is where we've been, Revelation 12, 11. Second thing you have to understand is this. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. You know, there's a lot of people who say, well, I have faith. Do you really? If you really have faith, at some point that faith is going to be tested. And if it's true faith, if it's, if it's grounded in Jesus Christ, at some point it's going to be tested. And you know what? If it's grounded in Jesus, it can be trusted. But this shaky faith, this, well, I, you know, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. That's where we begin to see who we really are. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. And I'll just read it from up up there. It says, For everyone who has been born of God. What? Who can be an overcomer? Everyone born of God. So you don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be able to say I know all the scripture you don't have to say I know all the hymns and 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 hold your foot just right hold your hand up just right you don't have to know all the religious jargon it says this it says you can be an overcomer by being born of God so for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world what is it our faith this is the victory it's our faith and what does that mean who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And it's not just this weak belief of just having knowledge. And I, I, I've told you this before, and I want to just hammer this again. Just because you know something about someone doesn't mean you know them. Just because there's a lot of people that will come through, and as, as, as uh, uh, people that come through town sometimes will say, yeah, I know Brian Ogden, you know, and I'm like, you do? you do? You know, there are people that when uh, I was on staff at the church in Jessup, I would meet people around town. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I go to church. I said, where do you go to church? I go to the Unity Church of God. I said, man, that's awesome. I go to Unity Church of God. Really? You go to Unity Church of God? It's like, who's the pastor? You know, they, they couldn't tell me his name. And I'm thinking his name is George Moxley. All right. Uh, and, and so just because you know something doesn't mean you know them. And so what this is saying is that those who believe, those who believe and not just have some kind of intellect, it's those who say, I put my faith and my trust and my heart in your hands, and wherever you lead me, I'm going to follow. However this looks, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to keep walking with you, Jesus. That's what that looks like. That's what that looks like, because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Revelation one chapter, 1, uh, chapter one verse one. This is what it says. You want to know what Re- book of Revelation? How many of you have you ever read the book of Revelation? Revelation is kind of crazy, isn't it? All right. So if you're a new believer, I do not. Uh, I recommend you start reading the book of Revelation. Right? Don't start there. There's a lot of other great places to start. I love the book of Revelation, but this. Is, uh, listen. The book of Revelation, we, we get these crazy ideas of what revelation is about. Revelation is about the end of the world, and revelation is about all this stuff. It's about the Antichrist. And it's well, it ain't about any of that stuff. All, that stuff's in there. But it's not about that. See, what revelation is about is this, and the first five words tell you what this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that? Anybody ever got a revelation? What is a revelation? It means that something has been uncovered to you. Something that was mysterious has come to light. The light bulb has gone off. This book, this story, this vision that John is laying down, he's like this. Listen, this is Jesus revealing himself to you. This is Jesus opening up his heart. And what is he opening? That he is king of the world. And that he is an overcomer. And that because he's an overcomer, you can be an overcomer. That's what Revelation is about. That Jesus is king and Jesus is victorious. That is the succinct way of telling you what the book of Revelation is about. You say, well, it's about many crimes. It's about Jesus conquering everything that comes against us. It's about Jesus conquering the world. It's about Jesus conquering death. It's about Jesus standing as the ultimate king and ultimate savior and ultimate holder of our fate in his hand. Because he is the one who overcomes the world. Because he overcomes, we can overcome. This is what Revelation is about. So when John is writing all this stuff, when John is writing all this stuff, this is what he wants you to get. He's seeing this vision. But who's he talking to? He's talking to a group of people who have been beat up. They've been persecuted. They have been tortured and killed by the Emperor Domitian. And you you go do your research on Domitian. The Emperor Domitian was not a good guy. Uh, He was such a bad guy, even the people that worked for him did not like him, and I actually ultimately wound up killing him. He was assassinated. That's just how much of a beloved guy he was, right? And so he was a horrible person to Christians. And this is what Revelation, this is the letter that is, and this revelations in in this letter is being given to the church that is being persecuted by Domitian. And why is it? Just because he could say things about the Antichrist and all this? No, no, no. It's because first and foremost, you have to say who's it being written to? And that letter is being written to a group of people who are being beat up and kicked in the teeth and oppressed and killed. And what is John saying? Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit. Jesus is king. I know they say that Domitian is king. Domitian was a megalomaniac. He would have people call him Lord and God. He thought he was divinity, right? He wasn't. And we we see that with the demise of his life. But that's why he tried to make people fear him, because he wanted them to call him Lord and God. But this is what John was doing. He says the true Lord and God is King Jesus. And Jesus reigns in victory. And kings will come, and kings will go, and emperors will come, and emperors will go, and presidents will come, and presidents will go. But Jesus remains the king over all. And that is good news for us. That is very good news for us. That is good news for when we're on top of the mountain and everything seems great. And that's good news for us when it seems like we're under the mountain and everything is crushing us. And John is saying, don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. Jesus is king. See, faith doesn't exempt us from overwhelming problems, but it does point us to an overcoming God. That's what it does. I'm going to ask Pastor Trent to come play. I love what Tony Evans said. Pastor Tony Evans uh, out in, in Dallas, Texas. He said this. He said, Jesus places victory within our reach, not in our hand. And I thought, That was like a light bulb went off to me. He places it within our reach, not in my hand. Because for me, when I'm, as a parent, and I'm looking at my kids and I'm thinking, I want them to learn things. There are things that I want them to understand about themselves. There are things that I want them to get. There are times that I want them to reach out for me. Now, I'm not going to be very far away. And I tell you this story, Kobe, my my youngest son, um, we had put him in his crib at night, and he would get up and he would cry. And well, I'd, I'd, I'd go in there and try to put him back down. Go, you got to lay down. You got to go to sleep, buddy. Gotta go down. I'd walk out. And what I started doing instead of walking out of the room is I would lay him down and I would go step back into a shadow and I would just stand there. And he would get up, and he would, he would start crying, and he would start calling out for us. And I would just step out of the shadow and say, Kobe, lay down. And he began to get the sense that I was still there, and that he could lay down and go to sleep. And it was going to be okay. And so for every one of us, God may seem like he's a thousand miles away. we have to do is just reach out and say, Father, I need you. It's just that close.
0: You've been listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. For more information regarding New Life, please visit our website at newliferh.com.